spiritual journey, I want to hear from those who have taken this path before me. This podcast focuses on them and listening to their stories uninterrupted. My name is Hiba Masood and I invite you to reflect on the trajectories of their lives and the guidance and blessings provided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala along that journey. Sister Perry Ansari is a key part of what makes Al-Makhasid in Allentown, Pennsylvania a special and welcoming place. She is a humble and gentle soul who happens to also be the wife of Sheikh Yahya Rodas. Sister Perry came to America at the age of three as a refugee from Kabul, Afghanistan, and grew up in Virginia. In this episode, she talks about how influential Imam Siraj Wahaj was in the early stages of her journey, and how his tape recordings helped her become more religious. Following that, a convert friend of hers introduced her to Imam al-Haddad's The Book of Assistance, which convinced her to study in Tareem. Once she married Sheikh Yahya, she spent over five years learning from the female scholars in Hadram of Yemen while raising her children there. She graduated from Hakim Salim Khan's College of Medicine and Healing Arts in the UK, and she talks about the importance of natural healing and understanding the temperaments, which she says is important for Muslims to know in order to understand themselves and, by extension, their relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His creation. So my family's originally from Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, they were refugees. We came to America when I was about three years old, and we settled in D.C., Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area. My uncle actually sponsored my uh, us to come, and uh, eventually after that, most of my family members moved to Virginia and some of them to California. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was born in Kabul, so I don't remember much of Afghanistan. Um, unfortunately, because of the war and everything else that happened after. But um, I did take my daughter and I to Afghanistan. We went with my husband, my daughter and I to Afghanistan in 2005, um, just for a couple of days. It was really interesting to see that. But it's, you know, um, it had a huge impact on me because I haven't seen Afghanistan since I was a little baby, you know, a little girl. So um, to see a country just demolished and, you know, war torn and things like that, it was very difficult. But my family... Um, yeah, they were immigrants, and we settled, and alhamdulillah, we were able to um, continue our lives in a safer area, and eventually most of my other relatives came from Kabul, and uh, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, when Islam kind of became serious for your life? So I didn't grow up practicing fully um, as a Muslim. Like I was, obviously I prayed every now and then, um, but I didn't really fully get into my deen until my high school years. So my dad introduced me to Imam Siraj Wahaj, and I actually attended one of his classes. He was a Ramadan program that we were doing at a local masjid, and he um, came and he did like a beautiful lecture that night. And then he sold some of his cassettes at the time, and my dad, you know, bought like a whole box for me. And I asked uh, Imam Siraj Wahaj, like, which of these lectures are your favorite? And he said, pretty much all of them. But he said, this one is my favorite is about the dunya and the world and how we get blinded and things like that. And I started listening to a lot of his talks. And then it just inspired me to become a better person and just start learning about my dean. Um, I did a few classes at the masjid, but then my other teacher, 
study man she moved to the area and so she was doing local um fit classes in her home and i started attending that and then i started learning more yeah what was uh your introduction to mama hadad in yemen how did you kind of know you wanted to go there uh, my best friend has, is also a convert from Bolivia, and she and her husband were studying overseas in Yemen. Her husband actually became friends with my husband, very close friends. So she, my friend, gave me a really nice copy of the Book of Assistance. Um, that was my first Imam Haddad book, and I just was so, mashallah, um, inspired by you know the, what he was saying in that book. I felt like it was a jewel of a book that everybody should read once in their life if they can. Um, and that had just inspired me to motiv- be motivated to just start really getting on this serious path of spirituality and knowledge and devotion. And um, once I started reading that book, then I was interested in reading more books of Imam Haddad. I also began with the word of Latif, the litany. Um, I had the CD, so I started listening to it and memorizing it um, in Arabic. Um, even though my Arabic wasn't that good, but I started memorizing it. And then, alhamdulillah, when I was able to, when I went to Tadim, when I got married and went to Tadim, um, mashallah, that's all they did was my, one of my teachers, Sada Najiba, may Allah bless her. She also started, you know, teaching us from the books of Imam Haddad, Book of Assistance, The Lives of Man. And then I read Sufi Sage of Arabia, which is another great book of, uh, about his life. And I just started on this, on this path. Sometimes for traditional families, it can be hard to even marry outside of the culture. How did your family feel about you marrying a convert? My parents didn't resist, alhamdulillah. My dad saw that my husband was very serious on this pursuit of gaining knowledge and learning overseas, especially from the people in Yemen. Um, he um, never hesitated. He said, you know, I'm here to support you. If you're, He never asked questions about, you know, financial support or how are you going to do this, how are you going to do that. But I think he was just um, very, very happy in terms of the fact that you know a person has come to this dean and um they could have been not even a muslim and you know but they came to this dean and they're so serious about taking this knowledge and inshallah teaching other people in the future so i don't think i had any resistance um my dad my dad was especially open my mom obviously she was a little bit hesitant but alhamdulillah she's (laughs) overcome that so um it was all good can you talk about your first time in Thurim, especially as a woman, especially having your kids there? Like, what was that whole experience like? Um, so when you first go to Tidim, it is a bit of a culture shock. Um, everything obviously is very, you know, separated, secluded. Um, women and men don't mix. Um, there's women have to cover um, head to toe. And it, do, it did took a, a little bit of adjusting. Um, after a month, I think I really, once I got into my classes and stuff, I really adjusted well. Um, but it is difficult. I'm not going to lie. The heat and, you know, there's no dunya there. So you can't like, you know, you have to make your own food from scratch. Nothing wrong with that. But it's just, you know. Um, but you see that Tadim tests your patience and you go there to really know Allah. And I think that I, it was an eye-waking experience because you go there thinking, okay, I'm Muslim, alhamdulillah, I pray, you know, I do this, I do that. But when you go there and you see people younger than you, Indonesia, from Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, all over the world, and they're like already have memorized the whole Quran. They've already memorized like half of the Ihya. Um, they have come and they're just, you know, mashallah, like ready to go and spread this message all over their home countries. You really feel like I need, I have yet to learn, you know, and I still need to go and learn more. Um, so I feel Tadim was very inspiring in that sense. Um, and raising children there, mashallah, because of the barakah of being in a 
you know, spiritual place. You have all these beautiful people that are willing to make du'as and, you know, pray for your children. And you attend these gatherings and you feel like the mercy has descended. These people are not people of the dunya. They don't talk shallow talk. They don't, um, they're just inspired to become a better person. Some of them don't even probably know, you know, like, every book there is and memorize this, but they learn it habitually through their families. They see it. It's not just you read it and you just keep it in your head. They actually implement what they learn. And I'm sure it's like that in other parts of the world too, with traditional societies where you go and learn your Dean Syria, Egypt, um, other parts of the Muslim world. But um, I feel like when you go there, you really find yourself and you know yourself. Once you know yourself, you know Allah. And I think that for me was just subhanAllah. And I will never trade it for the world. I would go again in a heartbeat. What came after Tareem and how did you uh, eventually settle in Allentown? So after Tareem, we came twice back to America. My husband was um, a teacher at Zaytuna. So he was teaching there. And then we, um, when I when I had my son, he was about less than seven months we went back to Tanim for another year um, a year and a half and then I had my last son there and then we came back when he was about the youngest was two years old so we actually weren't planning to move to Allentown Um, my husband met a good friend um, and he said you know why don't you come and see Um, at the time my husband was actually planning to go to Cambridge University to do his doctorate Um, so we weren't sure if we were all going to go and maybe some of us like maybe he will go back and forth and we stay in um, Allentown but we came to Allentown to visit and then um, we stayed here for a year and then we all moved to England after England we decided to come back and start this project on Makassid because it's very similar to in a sense it's not much here as you can see it's very rural but it's a very spiritual place Um, there's it's very also um, you know, central to people from New Jersey is accessible, um, the Northern Virginia communities, um, you know, and I felt like my husband felt like this place would be really good to have like a retreat, ongoing retreats and build a seminary here. So that's how we came. Can you talk about building community? Um, because you guys really kind of started this place from the ground up and what the effort has been like in Allentown. And then also with al as a woman and a mother, um, and the wife of Sheikh Yahya, what are things that um, you kind of think about as you're building this community? So community work is always going to be hard. Um, there's always going to be challenges. Um, but alhamdulillah, we live in a you know small community. Um, and in our local neighborhood right here where we live, where our home is, our neighbors, like there's 15 Muslims in our neighborhood. So it's really a blessing to see that my kids go outside and they play with other Muslim kids. And, you know, there are also people that are ongoing. They go to Makassid. So alhamdulillah, we have that benefit. It's a big blessing. Um, but community work is always going to be challenging, no matter where you build it, where you decide to. And I always, like, praise community leaders because I know how much sweat and tears it takes to build a community. Um, people have a lot of expectations at the end of the day. And I think that with that comes a lot of challenges, but you have to be patient. I think patience is the key and having mercy in the heart because people come and they want to like really are thirsty for knowledge. They want to build a better environment for their children. They want their children to grow up in a community where people are established in the dean. So I feel like it is a blessing um, to see that, you know, young families coming and then slowly their children are growing up and they are now teachers. And I haven't, I have yet to see that, but inshallah in the future, that's what we're hoping, um, that these young children can be the inspiration for the future generations to come. 
So um, it is a blessing, alhamdulillah. I think Allah just brought us here for a reason. And I think that um, it's pooling in a lot of people from different communities to come and um, learn their deen and, and you know, be a part of the seminary project. One of the topics you're very passionate about is natural medicine, which you learned under Hakim Slim Khan. Why did this appeal to you? So um, when I was living in England, I've always been interested in natural medicine because my family was very, you know, like there were, I guess you can call them like novice herbalists in the family. Like they didn't really, they weren't really into medicine and things like that growing up. So I, um, you know, my grandmother, may Allah bless her and increase her. She um, taught us a lot of like natural remedies from home where you can help with your illnesses and things like that. So when I was moved, when I, we moved to England, um, the College of Medicine Healing Arts was only like a couple of minutes away from the home where we were living in. So um, my husband actually inspired me. He said, you should go learn this because this is amazing. It's um, And he gave me Hakim Salim's first book, Islamic Medicine. So I started reading it. And I said, you know, let me just go and visit the college and see if they offer any courses for the semester. And so I was able to do um, a few of the classes there. And then, alhamdulillah, I just didn't want to stop. So I continued and I graduated. And now Hakim is coming. Uh, this will be his fourth year, I believe, coming to America. Um, he came to Makassar last three years. Uh, we're having the program this year at the DNA Center because of construction work at Makassar. But I think this knowledge is very important because we can't detach our well-being and think of it as a separate thing you know it goes hand in hand if you're not well you're not able to really fully worship your lord being well mentally being well physically and spiritually it's all one thing it's very important to understand that sometimes people are very serious about learning their dean and that's great but also you need to learn about you know i remember one of the teachers said to us a long time ago he said when he was memorizing quran it was so hard for him and his teacher said one thing he said you know you need to start eating healthy and um, eating this and this and avoiding this, avoiding processed foods, avoiding sugar, avoiding that. And he actually started memorizing quicker because of it. And I know many stories like that. So I feel like um, it helps with your spiritual well-being too, um, to go back to the roots and how the process some ate, how he lived his life, the lifestyle factors. But we complicate things, but actually the, the, the answers are in just living a simple life, a balanced life. So alhamdulillah, like I'm hoping that through these efforts of Hakim coming here through Makassid and people taking these courses that they get inspired as well to do the same thing. How does it differ from like quote unquote Western medicine and, and why is it important in the Islamic tradition? It is important to the Islamic tradition because the Prophet was the most balanced of all human beings, the most perfect of all human beings. And everything he did had a purpose, had a meaning behind it. And for example, like um, there's a hadith where I think he, uh, Ali radiallahu an had just recovered from an illness and they were invited somewhere and they were serving, I think it was meat or soup. I'm not sure of the exact um, item, but he said, eat this is better for you. I think he gave him dates because he had just recovered from illness. So there, right there is a message like, you know, don't eat something that's going to create more heat in your body. Eat something that's going to balance you, cool you off from the fever that whatever that he had. So it is important in our Islamic tradition because in the Quran, how many times does Allah say, eat of the things that are pure and tayyib, eat of the good, of the fruits and the vegetables that Allah has provided for us. And Muslims have solely, because of the industrialization of our societies, have detached themselves from that concept. And they, and I'm not saying, is there anything wrong with medicine? Mashallah, medicine is a blessing. It has a purpose. 
And uh, I'm, we're not saying to go against medicine, but we also have to look at what the Prophet said about food, how he ate, how he drank. If we really want to follow his examples, we have to follow that aspect too um, of, you know, not drinking water right with your meals or sitting down when you're drinking water, um, eating like dates with cucumbers that has a warming effect on the body and a cooling effect. Um, and learning about all of that is a beautiful science in itself. And, you know, I'm hoping that more Muslims can become more aware of it. Can you talk about the temperaments? Because as you said, not many people know about them. Why is it important to learn about them to get a better understanding of ourselves? So the temperaments are important because, um, like I said earlier, to know yourself, you know Allah. And, you know, if you know about yourself and you're willing to look at your strengths and everybody has strengths and everybody has deficiencies and weaknesses each temperament is unique in its own way there's no right or wrong if you're earth or fire or air or water temperament element that you're better than somebody or you're less than somebody um, it's all equal in that sense and the process was the balance of all four um, but the temperaments are important because it makes you more tolerable towards people when you know yourself you know if somebody's more like a certain way you know how to interact with them better you know how to deal with them better um, it's not one size fits all. Everybody has to be a cookie cutter version of yourself or anybody else for that reason. It's very important to become patient with people and understanding their emotional needs, their physical needs, their spiritual illnesses. And you can kind of gauge that through the understanding of the four temperaments. Um, I think it's a beautiful science. Um, when I started learning about it, I was like, wow, this is like a jewel that needs to be <laughs> uncovered and exposed to the world because if you understand it, you realize, subhanAllah, people are the way they are because that's how that, that that's how their temperament is, you know. And it, it helps you balance things out. It makes you a better person in terms of like balancing your yourself out. You know what irritates certain people. You know that you have deficiencies in this area. You know, not everybody can be a public speaker because that's their temperament. But some people can be a great public speaker because, mashallah, they can get up there and they can like be lively and they can, you know, entertain. And that's more of the air and the fire temperament. Um, and then some people are really good introspective thinkers. You know, they're very reflective. Um, and we need all four temperaments. We need people in each category, you can say. But it's different from personality because personality, it changes People can show one way to you and then they can put a mask on and be something else. But temperament is sort of like your, your, the way you expose yourself or the way you interact to your environment. It is your nature, your, your being, your, you know, this is who you are, your essence. So I think that, um, understanding the science, um, and, and the temperaments and Islamic medicine go hand in hand. Can you just briefly explain? Explain the four temperaments. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so the four temperaments are air. Um, so the elements are air, water, fire, and earth. So air temperament um, is a sanguine. They're more of a um, warm and uh, moisture. Um, they have a lot of moisture and a lot of warmth in their body. Um, their humor is mainly of blood that gives them a lot of vitality, a lot of energy. A lot of children, you know, growing up, they're very sanguine, very air, but they're just like air. So I explain it in a way that people understand. I say, look, just observe the elements. You know, when you see air, it doesn't stay in one place. So when you come across somebody who is of this nature, it's beautiful because you realize they're not in one 
they might be having one interest tomorrow and then another interest the next day. So they might be somebody who's into pottery today and then tomorrow they're into like, I don't know, swimming and diving and things like that. They are, mashallah, very, they're able to be in different categories. Um, they have so many different interests. They're very adventurous, a lot of energy. Um, moving on to the second temperament, the cholerics, they're very, they're a fire element and their humor is yellow bile. And they're very uh, goal-oriented people, very focused, very high-strong, um, and they're like the leaders of the company, the CEOs, the presidents, and things like that. So they're very driven, very motivated. Um, they they're very inspiring. They mo- you know they get a team going, and they go and they mashallah achieve what they need to achieve. They look look very optimistic. They look towards the future, um, and they're very quick in terms of making decisions and things like that. The third temperament is the phlegmatic, which is the water element. And these type of people are, um, they have excess phlegm. Um, so they are more, um, easygoing, um, very laid back. Um, they tend to be very great listeners, good counselors, things like that. Um, there's a phlegmatic element, just like water, you put water in any thing and it takes that particular form. So they're very malleable and flexible. Um, I saw a lot of my friends are phlegmatics and, you know, they're very easy to get along with. Um, and then the last temperament is the earth, which is the, um, melancholics and their main humor is black bile. And they're very, um, creative, like the artists, the poets, and, you know, they're good writers. They're also very good, um, listeners as well, just like the phlegmatics. And they're people that are very grounded. They don't like too many changes in life and very stable, very loyal to what they believe in. So that's just a quick summary, but I can go into more detail. <laughs> what do you mean by like the humor? Like how does that? The humor. So basically it's your, um, what drives you to that temperament? So it's like your bodily, um, you know, you could say your bodily fluids. So like a uh, yellow bile resides in the liver, extra bile in the liver. Um, the people who have black bile in the spleen, um, phlegmatic, usually it's phlegm mucus in the lung area. So that's how, Hippocrates and Ibn Sina, that's how they coined it. That's how they um, differentiate the different humors based on um, what humor resides excess of in your body. So if you're more of a, you have a strong blood humor, um, you have a lot of energy, you have a lot of motivation, a lot of vitality. It's your vital force. It's what drip drives you to what you are, what your temperament is basically. So. Um, this might be a long question, but how does this relate to um, things in our tradition and also naturopathy? So like um, natural healing, the food you eat, and then um, more in terms of uh, like physical ibadah, like um, the kind of dicker that you do and things like that. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so according to each temperament, you should eat according to what you're the opposite of. So if you're a warm and moist type temperament, which is a sanguine air, you should be eating more cooling things rather than more hot things. So you can, you can be balanced in your temperament. So it's always the opposite. So if somebody comes to me and they're more of a choleric temperament, they have more heat, um, less moisture, which is more dry, you know, they have dry, dry and more heat. I wouldn't recommend them to eat like something that's more hot and dry. Um, because it can balance their temperament, your humors. I would recommend them to eat more cooling things. And and that's where you find illnesses. I mean, this is a whole science in itself, but illnesses manifest because the humor becomes imbalanced. Um, because people are doing the wrong things, like they're eating the wrong foods, the opposite of their temperament. 
um, carrying on lifestyle factors. In Yunani Tip Medicine, we look at six lifestyle factors. One of them is air and environment. How's your air and environment? You know, we have a lot of pollution, toxicity. Um, the second thing is your food and drink is very key. Um, and then sleep and wakefulness. Um, you know, how much sleep do you get? You know, like there's certain temperaments, they don't need many hours of sleep, where some temperaments, they do need to take an afternoon nap and they need extra sleep in the evenings. Um, and then your um, stress, you know, how do you deal with your emotional stress? How do you, um, what is your method of dealing with that? You know, um, every temperament is different. And then your physical activity exercise is very, very important in the, in the um, Unani tip tradition. So those are all the basic things, elimination, and, you know, elimination and retention. So these are all basic core methods, simple living ways of how to better yourself. So once you better yourself, you feel better, you feel more balanced, you're able to do more ibadah um, and more dhikr. And spirituality is always the first thing that we, you know, you're supposed to look at, you know, how is your spiritual state with your Lord? You know, um, that's when you can see the physical is always at the bottom, but the spiritual is number one, your emotional, your mental, and then your physical. So, you know, doing your dhikr, um, making sure that you are, um, have a time of solitude for yourself, especially certain temperaments, like they're always with people. So they do need a little bit more time. And that's one of the weaknesses. They don't give that time to themselves alone. Um, I see a lot of people in different, you know, temperaments, um, when I do my consulting with them and, you know, they love to be with people. That's where they get their energy from. But then, how much did they? How much time did they have in solitude, where they're just making dhikr, you know, and being with Allah? So that's important to look at that aspect too. That um, each temperament has to have time where they're balanced, they're with people, but they also have solitude time. That they're in a state where they're also reflecting, doing a lot of reflection is very important. Um, doing a lot of reflection of, you know, what did I do today? Uh, you know, was this pleasing to Allah? Was this not pleasing to Allah? What did I accomplish? Did I help somebody in need? Um, you know, having mercy for people and seeing where people are struggling. And, you know, because when you learn the science, you realize, subhanAllah, like this is the key. Like when you understand that know yourself, you know Allah, this is the key. It opens so many doors for you. And you realize that, you know, I can't just sit there and, do dhikr but then there's people that need help outside you have to be balanced in that aspect you know where your strengths are you help people but then you also have to have time to yourself and where you're you know refocused and then you make your reflections and and think that how you can become better and so it's a very important um groundwork i feel like i i feel like if more muslim communities can tap into this Subhanallah, you're going to have great people <laughs> and people that are patient with each other and understand each other that, you know, if somebody looked at you a certain way or don't assume that, you know, they mean harm, maybe that's how they are. That's their disposition. That's their temperament. Or maybe they're having a bad day. Giving excuses for people is so important. So and not having expectations, too many expectations. So, yeah. Does this also um, play into like relationships? Like if you're looking for a partner, like should you be looking for someone with the same temperament as you, the opposite? Like how does that? Yeah, good question. Um, I think it's important before you get married to learn the fic of marriage. Obviously, that's key central safarda I knowledge that we all need to learn before we get married the rights and you know duties of our own you know what as a wife you can do to support your husband and vice versa what a husband has to do to support his wife so knowing the fic of marriage is very key and very essential before getting married but the second thing is also yes to learn the temperaments because and not necessarily to find somebody that's the same temperament as you but 
opposites do attract, you know, sometimes you won't, you won't want somebody the same as you, you want somebody different. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but finding somebody that's sort of, I would say balance in their temperament. So every temperament has, like I said, their strength and weaknesses. If you are an extreme air, uh, sanguine, you're very, very extreme to the sense that you're become like a tornado, you know, that's not something that that's balanced. So you need to be careful with each temperament as well. A cholera can become a forest fire. You know, they can rage and become a very strong fire. Um, and a phlegmatic can become a tsunami water. And a melancholic can become an earthquake. So within each temperament, I like to use those metaphors because it makes people understand it better. Um, and it's easier in layman terms, basically. But looking for somebody that's balanced in their dean, balanced in their temperament is very important. Um, and the science, like I can recommend a few books, but the science is so important because I think more than looking for a spouse, focus on yourself first. Focus on, you know, this is who I am. Um, you know, I'm good at this, but I'm weak maybe in this. I need to work on this strength, uh, work on this area. And looking for somebody that can kind of help you fulfill that goal. So if you're deficient in certain areas, like looking for somebody, and Sean, that's also spiritually aware, but also very balanced in their emotional and their physical and their mental health is very important when you're looking for a spouse. But it's always good to do a class on premarital counseling. And inshallah, hopefully, I'm hoping in the future, more counselors like Islamic counselors can learn about the temperaments and actually implement that. You know, like if somebody is coming for counseling, premarital counseling, and their spouse is, for example, a cleric, and they're mar- or they're going to marry somebody who's phlegmatic, they need to know what the weaknesses of that phlegmatic is. A phlegmatic is not going to be somebody who's going to be like, okay, let's go do this today. And like, you know, like a cleric likes to move ahead. Phlegmatic likes to take their time and think, okay, is this really a good thing to do? Do a lot of reflecting, but being patient with that, you know, not expecting somebody to all of a sudden change and become like you. Um, so understanding that is very, very key. Um, and there's a lot of books on the temperaments written by all kinds of authors. You know, the one of them is Sandra Williams. Um, the book is called The Four Temperaments. It's a good basic book, Know Yourself by Alex Carberry. It's a very basic book. Um, so I recommend people to learn about that first. Learn about yourself and then, inshallah, explore other temperaments later. What are some of the things that you um, learned in the Hakim Sciences that you kind of want, um, just like average, everyday people to know? Um, just going back to simple living, um, eating simple foods, um, not, you know, detaching yourself from too much extra things and the in your environment, um, level, that's basically simple living, um, going back to lifestyle factors, making sure that your air is clean, your environment's clean. Um, your food and drink is not just halal, but where are the sources, you know, where's your meat being slaughtered? I know this is a whole topic in itself and I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, understanding those simple things can make a huge impact in your life. Um, and not getting your kids used to so much different types of processed foods and, you know, eating very wholesome. Every meal should be very simple. It shouldn't be like a table spread full of, you know, you know, different types of meat and then having like a drink with your meal soda, things like that. Um, I think that's where the key comes in because it makes you more able to do more worship. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be perfect in every single area of their lifestyle factors but you know you can make slow adjustments slow changes like let's say you're not physically active um 
incorporating a little bit of movement in your day, whether it's five minutes and then doing thicker while you're doing movement. You know, I know that Chinese medicine, they're very big on Tai Chi and Qigong. And I've done a few things of Tai Chi and Qigong and the energy it gives you, it's amazing. You know, you go up there and just do slight movements, but it's just, you can start your day in such a positive mindset. Um, and then being used to routine and consistency. It's no good if you're just starting one day and one week or one month and things are hard for you, but making very simple changes that you're able to maintain. Just like when you do your Aurat, when you're on a spiritual journey and you're starting to get into your Deen and you're starting to become religious, you know, you start with the basics, you know, you do maybe a hundred times Salwan the process some, and then you can always increase it to 200, 300, but slow change, as long as you're consistent every day, that's important. So I'm not saying to make like big changes in your every lifestyle factor, but look at your air and environment. How is your air and environment? You know, are you using, you know, I don't want to open this door, but toxic cleaners in the home, you know, what are you smelling and what are you inhaling? And that has something to do with how you're feeling in the day. Um, especially nowadays, you see so many people with all kinds of issues, you know, and you feel like it goes back to the basics. Are you having a lot of things in your home? Is it your home? free from too much distraction, are you able to do ibad in that house, you know? And obviously we know that one of my teachers said angels get attracted to good smells. They get attracted to a clean environment. Um, so starting with simple things can make such everlasting benefits, you know? Um, and I always say, be consistent. Like I said, don't try to do too much and then pile it on. Just like when you start to become religious, doing this, doing that, but being consistent and making a long lasting term effect on yourself what are just some core things that we should know in order to balance our temperaments and do you need to consult someone or are there things that you can know and do on your own a lot of it you can do on your own but it's always good to study the temperaments first um or maybe even see somebody who um specializes in that air like a hakeem um but i think that start with just simple things like your sleep and your eat your food and drink um, if you're a particular temperament and you're eating, um, too many things that go against, like I said, your temperament, it can imbalance you and you can see more disease manifesting in itself. So it goes back to basic science of understanding, first of all, what your temperament is getting understanding of that. And always there's not one temperament I was going to say before, um, I slipped my mind, but there's always a dominant and a subdominant. So you could be one temperament and obviously as children grow up, they change, you know, their temperaments change once you become in your 20s and 30s. You can lose a lot of that heat and moisture. You become more maybe cold and dry or cold and moist. Um, you shift or maybe something traumatic has happened in your life and um, you are, you've become a different temperament. But um, subhanAllah, when I look at the time of the process, some and you read about the companions, they were all different. But the process, some knew how to work with each person. He knew like, you know, you had Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, very loyal, very trustworthy. And he was the closest to the process. And I, you can kind of see what his temperament was. Um, and you see Omar radiallahu anhu, who's mashallah, you know, ready to go fight for the sake of Allah. And he was mashallah, high, strong. And you could see what his temperament was. And Ali radiallahu anhu. So you see all of that in the stories and the seerah, you know, and how the process was able to be a best friend to everyone, you know, a leader to everyone. And he knew where he could, subhanAllah, how he could interact with them, what would be, what would make them happy, you know, what would put a smile on their face. So that's how I think it's important when you study about yourself and you learn about your temperament, how you can be a better person for somebody else in the world, in society, in your communities. Um, 
And unfortunately, nowadays, we have a lot of people that are struggling, you know, they're struggling, mental health is a big thing. You know, people are still living with childhood traumas. Um, and it's important to understand that Islam has a, you know, subhanAllah, it has a message and it has a remedy for all of that. And you just have to tap into that area. You tap into Islamic medicine, you tap into Islamic psychology. I know there's people, Masha, that are studying Islamic psychology. And, you know, everybody has something that they can work on and you can dwell. You know, I'm not saying that just study your temperament, not learn about other temperaments. It's important to keep going and, and continuing on that journey. Um, last question. Uh, you've kind of gone all over the world first to seek sacred knowledge and then to spread it. Um, can you just talk about some of the challenges that came with that, but um, also the butterfly that kind of came with those mm -hmm. sacrifices? Yeah, so it's like living in a suitcase and just not having a fixed home, <laughs> going from one part of the world to another part of the world. But Sapana, when you get exposed to different cultures and different societies, it makes you so happy to see different people, different Muslims and how they live and how they, you know, how they handle their communities and how they live their lives. It gives you more appreciation. Um, it makes you more um, open, open-minded, um, that when you go to a community where people don't have as much, like, for example, in Yemen, you know, um, like I said, they don't have, like, you know, lavish lifestyles. They don't have this and that, but it makes them so grounded in their deen. So you find that they also are very happy people. They are very comfortable in what they have. Um, and you go to other parts of the Muslim world, you know, you see people that are, um, you know, living in extended households. They have grandparents that are helping them. They have great-grandparents that are helping them raise their children. You see the beauty of that as well. And there's no right or wrong community. Every community has its benefits. And I've seen, mashallah, beautiful communities in the Muslim world and in North America. And I feel like you can take a, the good from every community and bring it back to your own community and make changes, you know. Um, one of the communities I saw in England was that, mashallah, one of the, even though they don't have gatherings, big gatherings like we do in Makassar, every Thursday we have a, a molid gathering. There in England, they have their own gatherings among sisters. You know, they have a small group of ladies that come. Their children all dress up really pretty. They wear, they burn the buhur, the incense. They sit around. Everybody takes a chapter. They read it. And that's their little way of, you know, giving the spiritual um, benefits in their community. So I feel like you can take good from every community. Every community has, and I've seen so, like I said, I've seen so many communities, mashallah, and they're doing great things all over North America, Northeast, and, you know, we have... NBIC in New Jersey, we have in Boston, we have in New York, Mecca Center, we have in DC Adams community. So you have, um, you can pull in all the good things and bring it back. Um, I think the challenging is, gelling aspect of that is not doing too much all at once, you know, um, trying to be, you know, tackle one thing, maybe work on the youth and then you know, do a few classes where they are also benefiting and not forgetting the youth is very important. You know, alhamdulillah, now here in our community, we've started like a little um, club for the boys. Like they do like a breakfast together on Saturdays. My neighbor, mashallah, he initiated it and they go together. They read a book, a Sira book. So they pray together in Jamal for Fajr and then they go out to a diner and have like a little breakfast and then they um, read a Sira book during that time. So they're benefiting, you know, and they're like young boys that are getting together um, with somebody in charge of them and, and overseeing that. And the same thing with the sisters, you know, the sisters can start something small for the youth girls and their communities. And then inshallah, um, you know, hopefully that they can become the banner carriers in the future. So, alhamdulillah.